This is Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. I'm very pleased to add material to our Dialogue on Teaching podcast. The Wabash Center is re-releasing in podcast format the video series, The Eye That Teaches. The Eye That Teaches, produced by Associate Director Tim Lake, interviewed senior scholars to talk about their teaching lives. These scholars provide great insights into their experiences as teachers and mentors. I want to thank our sound engineer, Dr. Paul Myrie, who has worked with this technology, as well as provided original music that frames the podcast. This is Dialogue on Teaching. Dr. Victor Anderson is on faculty at Vanderbilt University. He is the Oberlin Theological School Professor of Ethics and Society. Dr. Anderson is also the professor in the program of African American and Diaspora Studies and Religious Studies in the Vanderbilt College of Arts and Sciences. We hope you enjoy this edition of The Eye That Teaches. When it comes to uh, our role as a teacher, it is an identity. It's a habit. It's a habitus. It's the field in which I live. It's the plane on which I thrive. I can be a great writer, I think. I have a big imagination. I grew up playing in churches, so in terms of music, I could have excelled very well. I could have, I think I could have done well in many, many kinds of positions. Uh, and I wasn't great, so I said I was a great preacher, and I enjoyed it. But nothing has captured my sense of being and purpose than being a teacher, an educator. I've taught third grade, I've taught sixth grade, I taught 11th grade until they got bigger than me. And then I decided it was time to teach college and, and, and particularly uh, older people. And so theological education has been uh, uh, who I am, but the, the idea of a teacher comes from my admiration of teachers. The teachers that influenced me. When you're an educator and the world of experience is so wide, people who see that love of education in you will find themselves coming to you. They become more vulnerable to you. They, they make themselves vulnerable because they say, hey, I see the excitement of what turns him on and I want to be turned on about religion just like that. I mean, being a religion professor uh, is not the most glamorous position you can have among the, uh, the field of education. In many ways, it's also one of the most misunderstood. So it became a, a constant challenge why religion and why a teacher of religion. And I think that's rooted once again into my sense of the wideness of religious experience that can map onto all kinds of knowledges. I'm helping my students map onto a bigger world, but they're helping me to see the world larger. So it's, it's not, teaching is not just a, a, a one-way uh, position where uh, you are the expert. And being an expert, your, your job is to disseminate the knowledge into empty minds. Now, for every student that I teach, I know that they already come with a world of experience. They come with experiences that I don't have because they come from different families. Our families are not the same. Our neighborhoods are not the same. 
our colors of skin colors are not the same, our ethnicities are not the same, and our religious backgrounds are not the same. When they come, imagine all of that in one space. That is a world of difference that is powerfully opened up to me. I'm the lucky one that I have this field of all this world of experience before me. Now what do you do with it? It's a dialogical process for me teaching. It's a matter of uh, uh, being in conversation and interpreting the languages of their faiths, the language of their homes and the languages of their concerns, uh, uh, and, and being able to speak back to that, to speak back to that out of a, uh, the years of reading, out of decades of study, out of the adventure, as Whitehead would have put it, out of a world of adventure of ideas. Ideas that my students may not be, have been exposed to, but I have it. And as I listen to their concerns and as I uh, try to translate through uh, the languages of my studies, whether it's in philosophy, whether it's in philosophy religion, whether it's in ethics and moral languages, what I bring is a, is a file cabinet of ideas. So that as we're talking, as we're experiencing, as we're reading different texts, I feel comfortable to go to the file cabinet of my mind and say, hey, think about this. Have you read this? Have you read Plato on this? Have, when you want to talk about politics, have you read the Republic? Oh, you must read the Republic. When you, so, so really it's the translation between study and acquired knowledges and it's translation into the world of experience of the student. But once again, that's not an expert to uh, uh, empty vessels. That's people bringing their own lives, their lived experience to bear. The teacher is the one that models. Models what it is to be a learner, but also models what it is to have already acquired a set of knowledge tools that I can get about in the world with. If I'm not open to learning, which is a, a power. The power to learn is to be vulnerable to even voices that you think have nothing to offer you. But when you are vulnerable that way, I learn something about myself. I learn something about my own practices. I learn sometimes I can be rather harsh. Though in my head, I don't see myself in. Sometimes I say things to students so quick and so sharp that I hurt their feelings. And that's not my intention. But when they come back and say, you know, that hurt. And I have to say to myself, wow, I didn't mean for that to happen. I have to now go introspectively. And that's, are my practices, have they become dogmatic? If I assumed a mass of power over my students that I enjoy and I ought not to. It's because when, it's all, when the teacher is learning, herself is learning, uh, it's the question of uh, introspection, reassessment of one's own tools and one's own habits and one's own practices is what I think keeps teaching alive, what makes it a happy uh, task. I see it on the face. It's not because a student has repeated something I've given or that uh, an exam comes back perfect as an A. Sometimes it's in the change disposition. I would say most times it's in the change disposition that this idea really struck 
stuck and made a change. In other words, what I've learned and what I've acquired and, and when the student says, Dr. Anderson, I took your course 10 years ago and I want you to know that little metaphor you told, that story you told in your class, I tell to my students all the time, I tell the church all the time. And I want to know for now, what was it about that story, that metaphor, that particular idea, or that particular day that stuck, stuck them in such a way that they said, well, that was life-changing. You don't know, and one of the difficult part of teaching, you don't get immediate gratification. But as the time passed, as you meet students you encounter, it is amazing the things they remember from a simple class, from one class encounter. That's where I know I've done something right. Something went right there. And when their lives are affected, the whole art of teaching, the whole practice of teaching is experimental. And when it stops being experimental, when it stops being experimental, that's when one needs to give up. When you can't be inventive, creative, and realize, hey, this may have worked 15 years ago, and the same lecture I wrote 15 years ago, I'm too lazy to uh, write a new one on it. It just isn't working anymore. When you lose that kind of experiment of character with your own product, that is your lectures, your writings, the things you're disseminating, it's probably time to rethink whether this is something you should be continuing. If being a teacher and teaching as a performance, that is what I do, if being and doing are in harmony, then it also what I'm writing has to be an element of that as well. Scholarship is not divorced from teaching. And it's a sad state when, our, when teachers stop becoming scholars, that is, interested in scholarship, interested in text, interested in new knowledge, interested in upgrading their own educational uh, file cabinet of knowledge, if you will. Uh, when scholarship is not driving what one teaches, it's probably time to rethink some things. If you have not covered up time to play, if you're not covered up time to uh, enjoy your families, if you're not covered up time to uh, walk the dogs, if you're not taking time for the everyday ordinary uh, world in which we live in, and all your world is is uh, surrounded by this one set of one set of habits that is part of your life, namely a teaching learning relationship and and world. If you have not experienced laughter, if you don't do these ordinary everything things that are expected of you. It affects your teaching. It makes you mean. It makes you uh, controlling. It makes you having to be always right. It makes you bore, boring. And it makes learning boring. So, no, I think you're a better teacher because you can cut it off. Because you can say, I also, this is also part of my life. The everyday ordinary experiences of laughter, going to a movie. So, when I go home, I watch the judges, Judge Judy or the rest of them. But I'm, I'm not trying to watch uh, something serious when I've been serious all day. And I want to play with my dog. And I want to go to But I think that's what we're trying to communicate as educators. Leading our students out into a richer, fuller, and fulfilling sense of the self in the world. Participating in the world. Enjoying the world. And in the end, that's really what I want to accomplish. When we can say, uh, someone can say, 
because of this class, I have come to enjoy my world, the world around me, better, easier, and flourishing. That to me is the goal of what I want to achieve. And I can't do that when teaching becomes the totality of all that I am and all that I expect of my students. I want them to live in a world happily as ordinary people as much as they can with a higher sense of fulfillment because they've learned proportion, how to balance life. I think the greatest joy in my life was the joy of my grandmother uh, who could see her her baby, Dawn and Professor Regalia, as she says, that's my boy, because I am, as the African singing goes, I am because we are. My upbringing in Chicago, I carry with my siblings. I carry the burdens, but also the laughter. I carry the lessons learned. I carry the lessons uh, unlearned. I carry all the experience with me, and all the experience with me that transform me, but they sustain me too. They sustain me in faith, but they sustain me in good times and in bad times. And so uh, the old folks were in the theological tradition, they would call it the communion of saints. The, who I am as a professor at Vanderbilt Divinity School, I'm that because of a commun communion of saints. Some are living and some are gone. But I'm always conscious that who I am and what I do as a teacher has to be honoring of that communion of saints because I'm here because they gave what they had to give to me and imparted that into me. And so, yeah, I, the, the sense of fulfillment that brings is that it's not just an individualized sense of, of achievement where the eye that teaches says, I did this. No, the eye that teaches, this eye that teaches, is one that's been formed, shaped by a community of saints. Some living, some gone, the lessons learned, and the lessons that stay in my heart, they continue to inspire me to be an educator, to be a teacher. We hope you've enjoyed listening to scholars talk about their teaching life. And we're out. How was that, Paul?